It's Monday night, and you know where to find us. Right here, it's I Run Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to have a great show on tap for you once again. Ira is in studio, and Ira, you kind of had to, to rush a little bit to get back here because you were not so much as two weeks ago, but you still had a, a fun full weekend. Yeah, well, I was at Saturday night at uh, at Beaver Stadium at Penn State for the whiteout. Anyone saw that on TV was just tremendous, 110,000. How about back-to-back Saturdays, 110 at Michigan Stadium, then 110 <laughs> at, uh, in Penn State, so 220,000 fans. Atmosphere was great, but then really got like an hour of sleep Saturday night and had to drive down to Baltimore and then flew out uh, uh, Saturday Sunday morning so I could go see the Miami Dolphins versus the Pittsburgh Steelers last night. Uh, both great. The weather was great in Penn State, and the weather was fantastic there in Miami. It was such a great atmosphere. A lot of times you go to Dolphin games, and it's maybe hot. It's one it's o'clock. Usually hot. <laughs> and it's hot. And it's not fans. Are, but but that Steeler fans, the Steeler, it was, I think it was 50-50. The Steeler fans got the Miami fans into the game. So you really had you know, everything with the 72 Dolphins coming back. So you had Zonka and, and Warfield and all that got there. But I think it was the Steeler fans being there, the atmosphere for the game to a back after having been gone and i was listening to the radio they're like wow this is awesome like this is we haven't heard fans like this and so i think that was great so i was in two great environments in less than 20 and less than 24 hours and later on we'll talk about what your plan is for the next two weeks because it's going to be uh, really exciting it's going to be crazy yeah so what you should do is hop on any form of social media and follow Ira on sports. You can follow along with him, live vicariously through Ira as, uh, as we like to do 17,000 Instagram followers now. Not so bad, big, Ira. Yeah. Getting up there. And yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll reveal what you're up to next week or the next, you know, 10 days in a little bit. And that should uh, get people pretty excited. Brandon Copeland's going to join us around 735. Brandon, uh, NFL player. Uh, alumni at the same school as you, and also just a, a really good good and interesting guy. Tell us about Brandon. Yeah, Brandon, just he's played at a lot of teams, uh, played mostly known a couple years ago. He played, started for the Jets for two years uh, at linebacker, went to the University of Pennsylvania, so I went there, and that's why. I, and we also had Justin Watson on our show from Penn last year. But a uh, really interesting guy who's doing a lot of education, financial literacy. He's, I've heard him on TV. If you go and listen to the Sports Talk Radio, he seems to be on a lot of shows, which is great to have. So I heard him and I said, Brandon, you got to come on our show and, and talk about things. And uh, he's, he's on with the Ravens right now. So uh, I'm so excited to have him on the show today. Yep, that'll be about 735. Let's start with baseball. The World Series is set. And it's the, you know, odds-on favorite from the AL with a team nobody thought would make it out of the uh, play-in round <laughs> in, from the NL. Houston Astros versus the Philadelphia Phillies. Let's start with the with the Yankees here, though. And, you know, they, they say, I don't know if it's just when you're a Yankee fan like I am, Ira, it's any year you don't make the World Series is a bad season. And that may or may not be true. But when you lose in the ALCS the way they did, it's a bad season automatically. Let's talk about what happened to these New York Yankees. Well, they went 33. Astros now have had 33 innings with their bullpen, two runs. Uh, the Houston is now 9-2 and two, the Yankees during the year. They've eliminated the Yankees four times in the last eight years. And the Yankees have made five trips to the AL Championship Series and not made the World Series. Yeah. They haven't been in the World Series since 2009, which is, that's the A-Rod year. I mean, that's yeah. so long ago, it's beyond belief. Um, so, and then to get swept by the Astros. And it, it seems like the Yankees, always the excuses, the trash can, the this, the that, Altuve's wearing uh, uh, microchips that are telling him what's <laughs> passing. It, it's like, okay, now, like, what do the Astros have to do? And now there's two players on the team that are from the whole trash can and the sign-stealing scandal. But I thought this was a bad loss. I mean, the Astros beat the Yankees every which way imaginable. Yeah. They out-hit them, they out-pitched them, they out-fielded them, they out-everything them. It, it was bad, yeah. It's, and 
the 2010s will go down as a decade that'll live in infamy, one of only two in the Yankees' existence where they didn't win a World Series, the other being in the 1980s. Let's go back to uh, Game 1, because Justin Verlander, one great start in the playoffs, one bomb start in the playoffs, so you really didn't know what you were going to get, and it came out looking early like we might be getting the bad Verlander. Yankees fans got excited. It wasn't to be the case. Verlander went 45 pitches in two innings. He looked absolutely horrendous. And then I don't think I remember a pitcher pitching. It was, he went a switch flipped (laughs) 11 batters, nine strikeouts. I, he had six in a row. I mean, it was, and it was, they were just, it weren't fouling off pitches. He was just unhittable. And to see a pitcher, one of the great, you know, Hall of Fame pitcher like Verlander pitch like that, just totally shut down the Yankees. And the Yankees weren't able to get anything. Um, Gurriel had a home run in the bottom of the sixth inning. Uh, Then McCormick had a home run that made it 3 1. And then Pena, who we've been talking about, their shortstop, who replaced Correa, came and made it 4 1. And uh, and then in the top of the eighth inning, Montero pitching, a judge struck out. Then Rizzo hit a home run and made it 4-2. And uh, the Yankees seem to have people on. But Brian Presley, boy, I, you know, we talk, he does not get the press of being a great closer. He comes in, gets a four-out save, and just shuts the Yankees down there. And that was key, to get Verlander, then Presley, uh, per, that, the statement. Yeah, and Presley would go on to be a thorn on the Yankees' side for the rest of the series. Let's go to game two. But also, you know, we have to bring it also up. The Yankees for that game, 17 strikeouts. The Astros only two. The biggest disparity in the history of any postseason <laughs> game, 17 strikeouts for one team. I mean, there's only 27 out of it's a game. So 17 <laughs> strikeouts and then two for the Astros. Absolutely uh, terrible when you, when you look at that. When you're watching the games, it's even more painful. Going into game two, we're going to see Framber Valdez versus Severino. Yeah, I mean, Valdez pitched lights out short of... I mean, Bregman had for the Astros had a three-run home run, take up three, nothing. But short of in the uh, fourth inning, you know, when Judge got a single on, and then Valdez, it was right, like a hit back to Valdez. He throws in the outfield. I mean, if he just held on to the ball, then it would have been nothing. But it was a complete mess. They got infield signal. That made it 3-2. And then the eighth inning, the scandal was that the Astros all year had not played with the roof open. The weather was perfect in Houston. They decided to play with the roof open. And then Judge hits the ball. It could, it could have been a home run. He was mad that they, you know, the roof should have been closed, all that stuff. But they've done all those computer analysis, and they said the only place to put a home run would have been Yankee Stadium. Yeah. So the, the Yankees <laughs> spent all their time complaining about the roof open. The roof, it was too windy. It's this. I mean, excuses, excuses. I mean, the Yankees, you know, they overcome excuses. They're not a team. They sound like the Pirates or something. I mean, they, you can't be making excuses like that. And then, um, and then they were able. Then they uh, Houston won. I mean, Altuve. Went over. It was at that point was over twenty three. We had Dell yeah. Maxbo on our show who had like the all time postseason record over twenty two. So here's the Astros star MVP player um, Altuve over twenty three, and they're still up two zero on the Yankees. No, yeah, crazy how that worked out. It was, you know, watching him just continually get out made me happy. But you knew something was coming soon. So let's go to Game Three. It's going to be Garrett Cole on the mound. This is he's been pitching really well throughout throughout the postseason. Playing Christian Javier, and this is the one where it's like, well, you have to win now. Backs against the wall. What happened? Yeah, and you're back at Yankee Stadium for it. So the second inning, uh, Bader made an error, which is surprising because he's you know such a great player. And then McCormick, the number nine hitter, hits a home run, makes it uh, two two nothing off Cole. And then uh, in the sixth inning, Boone takes out Cole, puts in Lou Trevorino, and that's when Mancini they scored more runs. So the question is, you know, Cole was not happy. If there's anything that happens with it hurts Aaron Boone's job, I mean, you could see Cole did not want to go out of that game. He wants to be on that game. I, you're your star ace pitcher. He's got to stay in that game too. And uh, what did the Astros do to win the game and shut the Yankees down? Javier pitched five innings.
innings than Neris, Stanek, Brown, Montero. I mean, they are tremendous in terms of their bullpen. And we keep talking about that. But they don't just have a couple bullpen pitch. They have six guys in the bullpen that they just can bring out. They don't have to bring starters back. Verlander doesn't have to come in for an out. They don't have to do what some of these other teams have to do. And they have just, they're so deep with their pitching. And they just, start, uh, and Judge was 0 for 4. I mean, he really did nothing in the entire series. Yeah, and Hector Neris and Ryan Stanek, as you mentioned, they've been successful closers with other teams. Now they could come in in the sixth and seventh inning for this team and just, just shut it down. So elimination game. It was last night, Yankees. <laughs> they took their first lead of the series, Ira, but still wasn't meant to be. Yeah, they were up 3 nothing. Rizzo at the bottom of the second, uh, McCullers versus Cortez, who the Yankees, if you look Yankee fans, they like Cortez, probably the best of any pitcher. They take out to a 3 nothing lead, but then uh, Pena hit a three-run home run, made it 3-3, uh, and then Goriel drove in Alvarez, make it you know 4-3. But... Uh, and then when you know Bader hit a home run, made it five four. So now they're in the, they're in a game. Like they're it's like, that's what I think about the Astros so great is that they actually didn't have the great pitching in terms of they're giving up all these runs. But then uh, um, then in the in the seventh inning, Altuve got an infield hit. Uh, Torres made it air, uh, and then Alcaraz hit a got a hit to make it five five. And then uh, Bregman got another hit to make it six five. And then what did what did the Astros do? Um, and I'm watching this at Dolphin, you know, underneath Hard Rock Stadium. So. I'm what you know that the game had ended and it's still going three innings and they just you know three up three down the rest of the time striking out everybody judge makes it out you know and out of the ninth inning flies out so it was uh you know Verlander this is uh you know Dusty Baker in the World Series Verlander's 0 for 6 in in the World Series and seven World Series starts Dusty Baker has been managing for 25 years never won a World Series so it's a lot of storylines here between the Astros and Phils but um the Astros, I mean, it seems, it feels like a lot when the Astros played the Nationals. What would they, I thought they were a better team, and they get a team that's super hot uh, and win. I mean, the Astros had, you know, you expect the Astros to be playing the Dodgers or Braves. Instead, they're playing the Phillies now. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo at 710. Don't forget, you can follow Ira anywhere on social media at Ira on Sports. Let's go to the National League side, Ira, and nobody took the Phillies to win any of the series that they did. And even talking to buddies of mine about, you know, what do you think is going to happen in this series? Oh, San Diego is going to win in five. And Philadelphia keeps getting no credit. And they came out and played fantastic pretty much in every game here. Let's go to game one where you're going to see Zach Wheeler, you Darvish. We knew we were going to get a good pitching match. Uh, just not only a good pitching, only four total hits. It was an all-time record, the least amount of hits in a game. Uh, the Phils won 2 nothing. I mean, Bryce Harper had a home run in the fourth. Uh, and then Kyle Schwarber hit the other home run to make it 2-0. Um, his, Schwarber's hit at Petco was the first to reach the upper deck since 2004. And uh, so they, it was just tremendous. And they bring in Domingos and Alvarado to close out the eighth or ninth. Um, the Padres did have a chance in the ninth. They had men on first and second and one out. Machado flew out and Bell struck out. But to come into that environment, you watch it on TV, you know, the Padre fans are going nuts. I mean, this was fun from the series perspective that you had two fan bases that just love their teams that have been in the playoffs so much. So the fans were going crazy. Last night at the Yankee game, I had friends who were at the game. They were like, you know, the judge home run thing was was uh, was a bigger deal than yeah. whatever. And, and to add something about that, to back about the judge, um, remember, I went to five of the games when he, when he hit 60, and then I tried to wait for 61-62. I think that the whole judge thing messed them up. I, as much as I don't know if they would have beat the Astros anyway, but I think it became so focused on Judge a bat and he's going to hit the home run and the winning and the losing didn't really play. And they were winning, they, but it just seemed like it took away. It seemed different, and I just think it messed them. It just they didn't seem that team, you know, against the against the uh, Rangers at the end. It just it, everything the home run uh, chase got them away from playing normal baseball. They probably should have rested Judge more. Yeah, and those things. I mean, I I think that hurt them. No, I absolutely agree with you. It's kind of a sideshow towards the end of the season that. 
completely derailed what everyone else was doing. I mean, doing. the year that McGuire, Sosa, and Bonds all had their home run records, they didn't make advance to the playoffs, too. So I love it. Look, I went to the games. I paid a fortune for these tickets. I want to see history, but you can see history, but you're not going to see the team win. And I, there had to be a point where, you know, maybe they should have rested a judge a little bit more. So going into game two, we've talked on the show before how Blake Snell, you just have no idea if you're going to get a dominant performance or a terrible one. And Aaron Nola, who's the, you know, the, the, the 1A of Philadelphia, really has been kind of mediocre in some of these games. And this is what we saw in uh, game two. Yeah, I mean, the, the Phils got up 4 nothing. Harper had a single, Castellano. It was like a bunch of singles that make him up 4-2. And then the Padres came back in the sec- second inning and made it 4-2. Four, four but uh, in, the, in the fifth inning, you know, so the, the, the Padres were able to tie it up 4-4. Four, four, but then, and go up actually, uh, you know, 7-4. And, uh, and then Machado had a home run to make 8-4. So it seemed like, and then Hader, you saw Josh Hader come in, and he pitched just lights out there. And that was like, okay, the Padres won 8-5. They out-hit the Phils. The Phils can say, oh, we're going to hit home runs. We're going to do this. But the Padres had the power. So, I mean, this is one of the things where, you know, when the Phils had that 4-0 lead and the Padres were able to turn the tables on them, I think then you said, you felt like, okay, we're going to have a seven-game series because they, that was the Phils' chance. They blew it. They're up 4-0. They have a chance to go, and they blew it, but it, not to be. Well, especially going into the next game with Joe Musgrove, you know, fantastic pitcher who'd been on a little bit of a roll here, versus Ranger Suarez, who he's a, he's an okay pitcher, but nothing near elite. But this was not the case in this game. No, I mean this is a situation where Phils won four two to go up two one again. You know, these home runs from Harper and Schwarber and Rice Hoskins. I mean, it's just the Phils seem to they have three guys that just keep hitting these home runs, and that's what I think from the Astros' perspective. If you can avoid getting hurt by them, they should be able to, to beat the Phillies. But again, this this was Segura though had a big because Segura made an error to, to have let the Padres score to go one one, but then he comes and hit you know drives in two runs in the bottom of the fourth to make it three one, and then it was four two, and then the Phils again. You know, I think it's you're seeing in these playoffs the teams that get the you got to get the lead and you got you can't just have a closer you got to then have the seventh eighth and ninth to close with the way the baseball is now you're not gonna have starters go eight innings and bring the closer in you you got to have more than one reliever you can't like the Mets seem this year to have Diaz and nobody else like you need to have those two or three other guys to be seven eight nine and that's what the Phillies were able to do to shut them down and, and not for nothing the Phillies bullpen in the regular season was terrible <laughs> and they've just put it all together on this miraculous postseason run let's go into game four and this was one where you're like all right you know you you kind of want to see the Padres win just to make this a series and not you know not completely get out of control like we saw um, like we saw on the other side. Well, this was just one of those crazy games. I mean, the the, the Phils won ten six. I was at the Penn State game, so I was missing this whole everything. But it was just all you're trying to follow your phone, and it's home run. Both pitchers, Clevenger and Bailey Falter, did not even get out of the first inning. Clevenger didn't even make it out, and they were just giving up home runs. The Phils won for five hitters for the game. were nine for 18 with four home runs, three doubles, and nine RBIs. Uh, I mean, it was one of those situations with Rashada, Drury. You know, they were up. The, the Padres were up 4-0, but then Hoskins had a home run. Harper doubled. And then Hoskins had another home run and the Schwarber home run. It was just crazy how many home runs. I mean, how many did they have four for the game? Mm-hmm. So that was just just totally outpowered. I mean, Soto was doing well. I mean, the Padres and Machado and Soto didn't play poorly. I mean, they were hitting. They were getting hits. It's just that the Phils just were just pounding the pot. The Padres pitching. And then if you're a Dodger fan, you're like, how do we lose? How yeah. do we not score? I think, I think the Dodgers, when they're seeing that, because they really, the Padres shut down the Dodgers. And they're and if you're a Dodger fan, you're like, wait a second. The Phils were able to hit the Dodgers. They're Ten <laughs> runs. Like, why? couldn't we have done more you know against them i think that makes the dodger fans very frustrated i'm surprised you weren't able to find a stat on the last time in a an al or nlcs that the pitchers both didn't make it out of the first inning because that's uh 
you know, not something you see every day. Game five, rematch of Wheeler versus Darvish, and Phillies are going to the World Series. Right. Well, that game, I mean, I was driving down to the Steeler game, so I was listening to the whole the whole thing on the radio, and it was raining. First of all, as you can see on TV, it was raining. First of all, to start a game, we're going to touch one other point is, to play these games on Sundays, ridiculous. Like, these are championship games. Like, the baseball, they got to be, there's no NFL games on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. There are, uh, so, or Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. Put them there. Put it on Thursday against Amazon Prime. But to put your games, like why they're playing anything on Sunday, is ridiculous. Because And then put it in the middle of the day. The game started at 3.30. When you're trying to watch the 1 o'clock games, the 4 o'clock games are started. Like, what are they thinking? I just think it was just ridiculous. I know the strike pushed it back. But I, I feel bad for baseball because it seemed like everything was backloaded on the weekend. And now you're having this whole week with no games. The World Series starts on Friday. Yeah. So we have nothing all week when you could have Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. Tuesday, Wednesday, at least, and Thursday to have a game. But... Uh, you know, the question was, it was Willer versus Darvish. They take Willer out, and uh, it seemed like, you know, the Philly, you know, the, the, uh, um, the Philly, you know, the Dominguez had trouble because it was raining. They walked, he, like, how many, three wild pitches and let the Padres take the lead. And then I'm getting to Dolphin Stadium. I'm coming to parking lot. I'm parking my car. And then people were all watching this game on the TV because that's when Bryce Harper hits the home run mm. to win the game for the Phillies. And, and again, what more can you say about Harper? I mean, Harper was on the Nationals. He was a superstar for them. He was at 16 years old, like LeBron. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I've been reading about Harper his whole yeah. life. And, you know, he's won two MVPs. Uh, one, one for the Nationals, now one for the Phillies. But he could, when he became a free agent, he couldn't get the big deal. The Nationals offered him the money. Then they pulled it from him. He came back. He's like, can I please have it? They're like, no. And then he was <laughs> like, he and Machado couldn't get a deal. He finally signed 13 years for 300 when the Nationals had offered him 10 years for 300. So he signed it for actually less money. And he's now been embraced. I mean, this what he's done in this series, I think win or lose, I think he's now Phillies. Like, he's exactly what the Phillies love in a player. And I, it's great for him because he's found a home, and, and you can see they're just embracing him. No, he, he's been phenomenal, nothing short of it. And I wonder, you know, back to your point about why would you play these games on a Sunday, do you think they could do, like, an adjustable schedule? Like, something along the lines of, well, if both these games don't go seven, we're, we're going to start the World Series on Wednesday instead of Friday. Something like that where they could have – had more flexibility, and then, like, you know, like we said, move these games to Monday or Tuesday to get the national eyes on it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's just stupid, and 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 I think that was a big mistake for baseball because I think these games are exciting. Playoff baseball was great, and to hide it, and, and someone like me who's a big fan who's going to the games, I mean, there's people at these games that want to watch it or walk, watching the parking lot, but why, why not put it on the Tuesday and Wednesdays and that's and move it up? I, it's not like a Super Bowl would have to be, and we know it's in Arizona on a certain date. Yeah. Like, and again, all these... You know, and I'm mad at we're going to talk about NASCAR and racing and stuff like that. These other sports that don't realize that Sunday is the NFL. Like, understand it's the NFL. Like, stop trying to compete against the NFL. Let the because if you're, I don't, I know very few fans that are just are not NFL fans. Like, there are other sports fans. So let the NFL have its day. Like, don't compete against it. You're, the ratings are going to be ten times more for the NFL than it is for even if baseball. they played it tonight. They knew this was a, a pretty crummy looking Monday night <laughs> football game. I watched baseball yesterday because. I, I, you know, the New York Yankees are in it, and the night game wasn't, you know, anything that I was super interested in anyway. So it worked out for me. But outside of diehard fans of the team, you're getting nothing. Let's go to the NFL. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. Speaking of NFL, NFL player Brandon Copeland joins us in about 15 minutes. Ira, let's first kind of sum up what's happening in the league. We were talking before we went on. You kind of, there's a really good picture painted of what the AFC is. And the NFC, I have no idea what is going on or who's going to come out of it. I just said if we wake up in February, the Super Bowl is if the Bills or Chiefs, one of those teams is not is not in the Super Bowl, I'll be in total shock. 
I mean, really, I think Cincinnati is playing now where I think they should be. But Cincinnati is going to have to beat both the Bills and Chiefs. They're not good enough to win that back-to-back. They might upset one. They're not upsetting both. That's the AFC. The NFC, anybody. And I'm not so, like, right now it's like, oh, Tampa's 3-4, and four, and, and the Packers are 3-4, and four, and the Niners are 3-4, and four, and the Eagles are 6-0, and, oh, the and the Giants and are 6-1. Yeah. Right, it's, but, but come playoff time, like, I don't care what the records are. If they're in the playoffs, I, I like Brady. I like Rodgers. I, I mean, I, I, I like those guys to win those, and I'm not sold about Daniel Jones. I'm not sold about Jalen Hurts. I, Giants I, fans aren't sold on no, Daniel I mean, Jones. No, they're winning these games so close. And the Rams are 3-3. Three and three. I mean, they won the Super Bowl. I mean, they're not done, too. So I just... I think when the Super Bowl comes, like, oh, we saw this happening. Like, I'd like to play what people are talking about right now, but they say, oh, these teams are dead, it's over, when when the Rams win the Super Bowl back-to-back. They're like, oh, we saw that happening. We knew the Rams were going to come. Because, you know, the NFC is totally open to see what's going to happen. So you were, uh, like you said, you were in Miami last night. It was a big game. You, you're... you're Scheduling's kind of worked out pretty well with the Steelers the past couple of years where you get to see them in, in good spots. Miami, especially in the evening, perfect place to see a football game. Tell us about uh, how everything was before the game. Well, first of all, the tailgating before was great. I mean, it wasn't super hot. So every, I got down there like three, two and a half, three hours before the game. Lots were totally packed. And uh, you like the throwback. They wore those throwback uniforms mm-hmm. in 72. The uni- you notice the, the end zones were all painted like the 72 Dolphin end zones. Um, it said 50-50 atmosphere of Steeler fans, ton of Steeler fans there. But the Dolphin fans are great. They, there was no fight. I saw there was one fight I might have seen. I think it was between two Dolphin fans, not Dolphin and Steeler fans. <laughs> That's then, not surprising. And then they had the 72 Dolphins come out like for, uh, to walk out with their gold jackets on to, for the coin toss. And all the video highlights they kept showing was cool. I, I, everything about the game. The Steeler Dolphin, you know, the first game I ever saw in NFL game was a not a Steeler game. It was down here when I was very, very young in like in 72, 73 in, in Miami. And I went to a preseason game and I forget who Miami played, but that was the first NFL game I ever, I must've been like four or five years old, but that was my first NFL game. But uh, so no, it was, I love the atmosphere for the game. So let's talk about uh, what actually happened here. The return of Tua and it's like, all right, like this team pretty much has back with what they, you know, what they wanted this, this roster to look like. To start the season, they got derailed, but they were three and zero to start off. I thought we were going to see more offense, Ira, and I, not say disappointed, but let's talk about what, how this game went. Yeah, it's this tale of of one quarter and three quarters. The first quarter, I thought this game was over, going to be over. They, Tua came down six for seven. They they were so fast. The Steelers were so confused. They were running into each other. They had no idea what was happening. Most he threw it to most hard. The Steelers were at one play. I think the Steelers had like nine players on the field. They were they were running the plays. The Steelers were confused. Then Pitt goes three three and out. The Finns drove down again, and they had third and four in the sixth, and two it threw it to Mostard, and I thought he that was like close to he almost caught the touchdown there. They settled for a field goal, ten nothing, and then what the Steelers do? Pickett, Kenny Pickett throws an interception. Yeah. So, so then they come back down again. They're first and ten. You know, on the twenty three, he throws three incompletions, so it was thirteen nothing. Kick a field goal, but it easily could have been twenty one nothing with two minutes to go at the point in the first quarter. Stats ten to one uh, first downs, one hundred and seventy to thirty five yards, one hundred seventy two thirty five yards. And at the end of the game, the uh, the Dolphins only got seven more first downs the rest of the game. And the Steelers got 18 first downs. So it was like crazy how it turned like that. Pittsburgh had a nice drive, made it 13-3. The Finns punted. Then they had this long drive down. And, and you know, we talk about George Pickens, the star player from Georgia for the Steelers, who I think is emerging as their – and I have on my fantasy team. So I'm watching him. And I just don't like – this is my concern about Kenny Pickett. When you watch a player and you have him on your fantasy in a game – 
I thought he's the one they have to go to. He has such, he tries. He's not loafing when it's not called for him. And you saw him on the touchdown pass. He goes up and makes the catches. I think they have to view him as the number one receiver. I think he forced it for, to DeAndre Johnson. Like on targets, uh, Pickens, Pickens caught six of his six passes thrown to him. Johnson caught five of his like 10. So the point is, I felt like some, I was, you know, biased because I want him to do well in fantasy, but I felt like in that case, but it was a great touchdown pass, 13-10, but the Finns then drove down, made it 16-10 at halftime. And if I told you, okay, six, how many games? 16-10 halftime, and that's the end of the scoring? You'd be crazy. I mean, Doesn't was, happen that, often. That was nuts. And the second half starts out, and then this is the crazy thing. On third and two in the Pittsburgh 13, uh, Edmonds goes, stops it at the one-yard line. And Instead of like, okay, make a field goal, go 19-10. The Steelers clearly have trouble moving the ball. You have a great defense. And they go for it. And they don't get the first down. They stopped on fourth down. I thought that was a very critical of that. Mike P. Daniels, like, I like to be aggressive. But in that case, I mean, go for the field goal, make it 19-10. Anything else you want to talk about in this one before we move on? Um, no. And then really what happened was the Steelers' offense the whole second half was like three and out, five and out, three and out, four and out, three and out. They couldn't move at all. But Miami didn't take advantage of that. They stayed at 16-10. You're like, just get another field goal move. They couldn't move the ball. And then the Steelers went on a 12-play drive, got down to third and one with three minutes to go on the 15. And then they had like two penalties and made it like third and 15. And that's where Pickett then threw an interception to Hall, Javon Holland, who made a great interception, runs it all the way back to the Steelers 42. So now you're in a situation where you just have to really advance for a couple more yards, get in field goal range, either run the clock out. If they got a first down, like they had the game in hand, they could get a first down. And then on second and third down, they threw a pass that they dropped. So the Steelers now get the ball back again on a punt with two and a half minutes to go, no timeouts. And they drove all the way down again <laughs> to, to, and uh, pick it through another interception to Igbenagi. But, uh, it was, it's like one of those games where two was 21 for 35, 261, a touchdown, pick it through three interceptions. But I, I just, I felt like, I don't think Tua played a great game. I think he played a great first quarter, but I just, I, I felt like he was missing his wide receivers and they got to throw to Waddle more. I mean, again, Waddle's my fantasy team. He was open so many times in them down the middle. And I think he was like trying to force the ball to Hill. Uh, I, I just think throw it to Waddle. They have such great receiving crew, but you know, he was been off for like three weeks. So you got to give him a pass for that. But um, and it was a win they needed to have to go four and three and they held on to win. But they probably the game should have been over in the first half. And really. I believe Taron Armstead was, was back playing, wasn't he? So they got the left tackle back. You were expecting more, you know, I'll give him the pass here. But if this goes for four weeks, then we might have some issues in Miami. I run sports true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo at 726. And speaking of issues, Ira, I don't know. I mean, at what point do you have to start looking at the Buccaneers and Tom Brady and say, Maybe it's not the year. Maybe Tom should have hung it up. Because no, for me, keeps saying that, but I, I'm not I don't know, Ira. So let's talk about this one because Carolina now is in the middle of a fire sale on an interim head coach, and they crushed the Bucs. It made no sense. Well, I mean, the first play, Brady threw to, to Mike Evans, and Evans drops a wide-open pass. And after that, they really didn't do – even though Brady's numbers – I mean, he threw 40, 32 for 49, 290 yards, one sack, no interceptions – but they really just couldn't get any. Their third down conversion was they were two for 12 on third down and one for three on fourth down. I just heard Brady on his radio show, and he said he has to, they have to fix the third down situation. Uh, this is the first time since 2022 that Brady has been three and four. I mean, it was great. It was a weird game. It's not like, you know, Carolina, they were up, you know, they were up seven nothing at halftime, made it 20 and three. Bucks, you know, don't score a touchdown in a game. And they were 13 and a half point favorites in this game, and they were 10 point favorites in the Steeler game. So now they've lost double digit favorites. Yeah. They've lost games back to back. But I'm still convinced. Look, 
I, I still convinced they're going to figure this out. I, I just they can't be this bad for the to and I, I just and their division they're still leading their division and so they have ten games left to figure it out. Yeah, probably going to be a sub five hundred team taking that uh, taking that NFC South. So if a month ago I told you that Aaron Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay was getting ready to lose to Washington, the Jets, and the Giants, you would think I was insane, and that's exactly what happened. And this is another quarterback. I'm not saying he looks washed. I think that offense in general is just dysfunctional. Well, I mean, he was – I talk about third down conversion. They were 0 for 6 on third downs, 0 for 1 on fourth down. They were a mess. I mean, the Packers were a disaster in this game. Um, and at you know, the end of the play, the last play of the game, they had, you know, had 20 laterals to try to win the game. Remember, Washington started the game with Taylor High in the key because Carson Wentz was injured. Uh, but it was just a crazy game. Clearly, I think uh, Colin Coward made a good point. Uh, um it's Aaron Rodgers needs old. He would like to have uh, Jordy Nelson, like he was 45, 42 years old. He would like to have Justin, you know, some of his players that were like from years ago back playing. He doesn't want to babysit young wide receivers like Romeo Dobbs is dropping balls. He is not the quarterback for a young wide receivers. No. This team doesn't fit. And it's his fault. He's making $50 million a year. So he should figure it out. But the fact is, Boy, they look, they looked, I, I think they look worse because they didn't run the ball. Like the point is they need to run the ball. I mean, they had no rushing yards. They have good running backs. Aaron Jones was eight for carries for 23 yards and uh, Dylan was four for 15 yards. I mean, they had like 38 yards of rushing with two of the best backs in the league. I, it's just a mess. And and I, so again, but you know, I'm still not ready to say it's over for them too. I mean, Brady and Rogers last year were one, two for MVP. You don't go for one, two for MVP. And like, oh, now he's totally lost it. Don't. I think they're going to be better. They'll figure it out to some extent. But, boy, two bad losses uh, for, for Green Bay and also Tampa Bay. If this continues, does Matt LaFleur lose his job? Yes. I mean, that yeah. that's clearly – and I don't know if Todd Bowles keeps his job. If it, I mean, that if, if there's an issue, you know, with the, when you have these star quarterbacks and your window is like right now, it seems to be this problem in terms of – but, but Matt LaFleur clearly would lose his job not having his no credibility of winning Super Bowls and being to Super Bowls and – this is just off the rails. So there's no he is would have the hottest seat of any hot seat. I'm even hotter than Brian Harson's seat at Auburn. If they <laughs> so Dallas and and Detroit, Dak Prescott back after missing every game since uh, you know half of week one. And this Detroit team's kind of hard to pick, Ira, because they were scoring 40 points a game to start the season. Now they scored six and two weeks ago got shut out. So it's like what Jekyll and Hyde team is here? Dallas didn't look great early, but they figured it out and got a nice win. I'll tell you one thing. It, the score was 24-6. They could have lost it. Detroit was driving. They got it down to the one. And the only reason why I stopped at one is Micah Parsons made this great play to stop uh, the tight end on the one-yard line, pushed him out. And then Detroit ended up fumbling the ball. Dallas then scored two touchdowns to blow it away. But, I, you know, Micah Parsons, what a play. I mean, that was a, a game, game-winning play. But, no, I feel bad. Detroit, it seems like they're in every game. They play hard, but they're one in five. They can't get these games wins. No, they, and at some point, Dan Campbell's going to go, but like I think he's a really good coach at some It's very hard to pick. Giants and Jacksonville may be the most exciting game of the one o'clocks as we saw the refs almost try to give Jacksonville this game. <laughs> what happened here? Well, it was just, I, again, it's been, what is the stat? I think is now the Giants are the first team to start six and one, have each of the first seven games decided by uh, by the final, by the final like score, whatever, yeah. the last but a possession. Yeah. But it, it was, they are, 
But you got to give Dable credit, their coach, for, for, for he's coach of the year right now for winning these games. Like he seems to be understanding the, he does things differently, understands it using Barkley and Jones. And, and there's, and look, the one thing I give credit for Daniel Jones, he rushed the ball 11 times for 107 yards. He runs maybe too much, but you're not so concerned that he runs or whatever, but he, you know, it was like, it's a weird type of game. And I think Dable has figured this out. And, uh, uh I feel bad for Jacksonville. You know, they, they've now lost what four in a row, uh, Trevor Lawrence, just needed to make some more. It just they're they're a little off. I'm not ready to to say, oh, this is a disaster. Like Jacksonville, the, the is so you know again the, the league is so is so much parity. But I would hope that Trevor Lawrence. I was waiting for him to make another little step up this year. Not seeing it just yet. No, Trevor Lawrence to me has been a little. It, it, it's hard to peg him too, but it's like they have the skill players. They have. Um, they have the skill players. They have, you know, what we think is a good coach. He's won a Super Bowl, and it's kind of not coming together for well, them. Well, 13 penalties for 81 yards. I mean, you have 13 penalties in game. You just can't. It's hard to overcome that. So let's uh, we, we'll wrap up with more football in a little bit, but let's go to Brandon Copeland now on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9. We're honored to have NFL player Brandon Copeland, who went to the University of Pennsylvania, my alma mater. So, Brandon, we had Justin Watson on the show last year, so I love getting the Penn people guys here in the NFL. Yeah, man. Listen, Jay White had a, a touchdown uh, as well, too, this weekend, so maybe the good luck. Maybe I can get a touchdown this week or something. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, so, so, Brandon, you grew up uh, in, ba- in Maryland, and your grandfather well, played for the Baltimore Colts, so you've had the NFL you know, in your, in your, in your blood, really. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I've been blessed <laughs> in that regard and, you know, having the opportunity to play in the same city that my grandfather played in for nine years on the Super Bowl and, you know, it's, it's literally, uh, uh, dreams, so many dreams come true, you know, so, um, been able to take a lot of different things from my grandfather in terms of the advice he gave me on the field, but also off the field in terms of how to deal with, uh, being a pro athlete and, and attacking it with professionalism and stuff like that. And, um, it's been helpful to me throughout my entire career, for sure. Now, you were in Maryland. Your team, your uh, high school football team, wins the state championship. But not only are you great athletically, but academically, and you're able then to to parlay that into going to the University of Pennsylvania. I think a lot of kids, they don't understand. They're like, oh, they just focus on the athletics and not the academics. But you were able to combine them and then, you know, get into the Wharton School. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, like you said, I, I even me in high school, I was definitely thinking, hey, I want to play big-time football, you know, play the Bamas, the, you know, at that time, I wasn't good enough to go to Bama, but Syracuse and things of that nature, and, and um, you know, my, my third to last game my senior year of high school, one of my teammates fell on the back of my ankle and it popped, and um, I remember then literally thinking, hey, this is that thing that all the older people in your life and the mentors and the coaches and stuff talk about when they say, Hey, you're one play away from this being gone forever. Uh, that to me was that moment of like, Oh, they, they are right. Like they are completely right. So for me, I had the opportunity to go to Penn. Um, I wanted to, you know, become an entrepreneur and things like that. Um, and so it made sense for me to take that leap and, uh, try going to, to, uh, Penn to, and then ultimately making it to the NFL. But, um, you know, it, it was definitely a, a challenge mentally at that time of figuring out, hey, like, is this going to be the right fit for me athletically? You know, academically, I think it was definitely the right fit. Um, but also athletically, is this going to be a place where I can have the chance to achieve the dreams that I have uh, for my own football career? 
I think people forget that the Ivy League was formed as an athletic conference, and for like the first fi- you know fifty years, they were there was the dominant. I mean, you think about the SEC and the Big Ten. I mean, Penn was the first school to have a, their own TV deal way before Notre Dame. Yeah. So, but talk about when you were at Penn, you were you were the captain of the team. They were the Ivy League champs when you were there. What was that experience? Because people think, oh, it's but it was. I mean, Ivy League sports is top top notch. I mean, it's it's phenomenal to uh, be there. I work for the basketball team, and uh, we made you know upsets in the NCAA tournament stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah no it, it's uh so in, we're in the d1aa so you, you're saying programs like the Towsons of the world the villanovas and and we would play those games every single year uh, and against those teams unfortunately the way that that um ivy league football is, is set up is that's the one sport that doesn't uh does not allow its teams to participate in the ncaa playoffs but uh there were a number of years that i was there when during my four years at Penn where we were like 12 in the nation as high as I think with one time we got to like nine in the nation, you know? So there were certain years where we were definitely, you know, confident that we could compete in the playoffs across the country and stuff like that against all the different teams out there. But um, unfortunately, you know, we never, never got that shot. Um, so we'll just have to continue to dream about it. But yeah, the, the athletic competition there is, is, uh, is super, is, is definitely, competitive and I think it's just getting better as time is going on because I think that there's a lot of people who are turning on the NFL you know screen and they're seeing that there's other Ivy League guys around the league the Kyle Juszczyk's the Cameron Brates uh, of the world you know there's other guys around the league that are are doing well for themselves and having long careers the Justin Watson's of the world you know Greg Van Roten's and um and and I think it's attracting more talent to Ivy League universities and then, you know, and we see the draft. The draft in April, you know, becomes this big draft thing. But after the draft is over, there's so much that goes on. Now, you were undrafted free agent, and you, but you were able to sign with teams, get on practice squads. Talk a little bit about, and then you ended up going to the Jets, you know, starting for two years for the Jets. But how does someone go from not being the first, you know, one of the top draft choices, but actually getting a starting job in the NFL? Yeah. Uh, whew, man, great question. It's, it's, uh, extreme amount of work ethic it takes a lot of work ethic but i think it also takes a lot of mental toughness so when you when you come into the nfl and you're undrafted free agent you are the lowest person on the totem pole and (laughs) and you know people are um not necessarily expecting you to make it right like you people mistake the nfl for um or people misinterpret the nfl and sometimes they don't understand how much of a business it is right and when you look at it the draft pick players, those are stocks. Those are investments, right? As a team, I'm going to go ahead and draft this person in the first round, which means I'm investing X amount of millions of dollars into him. I'm going to draft this person in the sixth round. I'm investing X amount of dollars into him. I'm getting this person, Brandon Copeland, undrafted. I'm investing a $1,000 signing bonus into him, right? $1,000, a lot of money, right? However, in comparison to that first round draft pick or any of those draft picks, right, like, that first rounder might be getting millions and millions of dollars in investment, right? And so now as an organization, uh, you want to see your investment do well. Not only do you want to see that, the city and the fans want to see that, and the owner of the team wants to see that as well too, right? And so when you come in as an undrafted free agent, your, um, uh, your room for mistakes are extremely, extremely is extremely, extremely small, right? And so in order to make it and progress, one, you got to prove yourself every single day. Every player has to do that, even if you are a draft pick. 
Um, but two, you have to fight to eventually earn the coach's respect, earn the organization's respect enough where they feel comfortable saying, hey, you are our starting guy. You are good enough to be our starting guy. We value you like that, and we're not drafting a player to come in and fill that void over you because we're just going to invest in you because we see the talent there. I will say, you know, getting back to my point earlier, it takes a lot of mental toughness because a lot of people don't necessarily make it to that phase uh, because there's so many politics involved. There's so many different things you have to go through in order to even play long enough to have the ability or to get to a different team that sees you differently um, in, in a realm where you have the chance to become a starter. And I guess the final thing I'll say there is what I mean when I say see you differently, you know, it's like, um, you know, if you, if you, I'm a, I'm a parent now and I'm, uh, I got a three-year-old and a, and a one-year, uh, soon to be one-year-old. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. But um, as we get to high school phase, right? Like, you know, my, my, my son will bring his friends around and you know, one of my sons will bring their friends around and I'll look at that, that the friends as, you know, the high school version of themselves, right? Hall, oh, that's little Joey. He's growing up, you know? And then one day little Joey years from now might want to come to me as a, you know, a professional and say, Hey, I'm not little Joey anymore. I'm, I'm the person for this job. Like I'm the best person to do this. I might still look at him as little Joey because that's the, how I met him. Right. Right. And I use that analogy for teams because there's so many players. Um, and you know, we have conversations all the time. And I tell players that there's sometimes where you are draft or, or you are brought into an organization as whatever role that they see you in. And for me, for example, as an undrafted free agent and then being practice squad the first couple of years, they saw me as little Joey you know, little undrafted coat from Penn, I had to go to a different place that saw me in a totally different light and gave me a different chance, right? And, and and let me play football for them to see, oh, okay, now this ain't little, this is Brandon Copeland. Like, nah, he can, he can play in this league type of thing. So I know that's like a, a different type of analogy, but that is what, you know, I, I tell a lot of undrafted players. I'm not saying that you have to leave your organization to make that happen. But sometimes that is what is necessary in order for you to be seen in a different light and get that chance to play on the field. Well, your, your comment about the stocks, I mean, people who invest, if you put a lot of money in a, in a certain stock and then the stock goes down, you tend to hold on to it, waiting for it to come back rather than for something yeah. you didn't invest in, in is so much. But it must be hard when you're a practice squad player because you don't want to, the team's like, well, don't, you want to show how great you are and how athletic you are and the plays you make, but you don't want to hurt anybody in offense. So you don't want to cause an injury. So it, you have to hold yourself <laughs> back. So it, it's really hard. And then they want you to practice and pretend to be the other to team's defense and those type of things. So it must be difficult to differentiate yourself and to show the coaches, hey, look, I can be a starter on this team and not just a practice squad player. Yeah, I mean, that's a <laughs> the great uh dichotomy of being a practice squad guy is like you you um like you said you want to make your flashes you want to make it known that hey i can i can get the job done on sunday but you also you you hit the wrong person during the week you are also fired you know? <laughs> so uh so it is definitely a uh a challenge but you know hey it's, it's part of part of the job you know you got to figure out a way to show hey i i can beat this person clean or i can really cover the top wide receiver on our team. So that means I can cover the top wide receiver on the other team's team, but I'm not going to cause a collision on Wednesday in practice that, 
now puts our team in jeopardy of, of, you know, competing at a high level on Sunday. Now you were at the Jets in 2018 and 19. You had two coaches, Todd Bowles, and now who is now coaching for Tampa Bay and Adam Gaze. Both coaches are well known to be amazing assistant coaches. Adam Gaze, brilliant offensive mind, and Todd Bowles, brilliant defensive mind. But they both struggled, and Bowles is now struggling this year as the head coach. It, it must have been it's, – it's, it, talk about the difficulties that Bowles is experiencing because we're seeing with Tampa Bay uh, in terms of going from being the you know, best defensive coordinator in the NFL to being the head coach and now having to deal with everything. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, being a head coach is – you got a, a bunch of different responsibilities on your plate, you know. Um, as a D coordinator, you lock in on your defense, you know. Uh, <laughs> any specialized uh, position, you get to lock in on your defense. But as a, the head coach, you have to manage it all. You have to manage people, not only people's egos, you got to manage defense, offense, and uh, the front office. You know, you got to manage upstairs and the culture and all of those different things. And I think that obviously right now, Tampa Bay, um, you know, one, they're Tampa Bay, right? They, when you're being led by, the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm going to go ahead and say it. When you're being led by the greatest quarterback of all time or one of the greatest competitors of all time, you always got a chance, right? Um, but obviously there's some things going on there that, you know, some of which has been in the news that I'm sure, you know, are out of our, uh, out of Coach Bowles' control, right? And and some things that might be distracting in the locker room and things like that um, or might be affecting the locker room that he's got to manage now. And, and ultimately the, the goal is, you know, guys got to get on the field on Sunday and be the best version of yourself and also be the best team that you can be. And so I, I have faith in Coach Bowles that he'll find a way to, to get it done um, because, you know, he he definitely deserves, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of success uh, because of the way he is um, with people in the locker room and the way that he leads men in the locker room. And then your, your quarterback at the time was Sam Darnall. And I, I guess it's just not it's about Sam, but also, I mean, what we talk about, everybody talks about is these quarterbacks, should Kenny pick a play? Should he not play? When do you put the rookie in? It didn't work out with Sam in for the Jets. It, it just didn't work out, and now he went to Carolina, didn't really work out there either. So the point is, it what happened in the Jets? Because he came in out of USC with high expectations, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, um, he had spurts of, of – bright spots and stuff like that. I think that, like you said, sometimes uh, when you have to come into an organization, you have to uh, play right away. You know, I think that uh, that can be good sometimes, but also sometimes it can be tough, right? Because now the mistakes that you have to make, especially in a lens like uh, New York, right? Like one is players, everyone is making mistakes. Let's just Call it even the best players that we all know and love. Ninety-nine on Madden, they are making mistakes, right? Um, when you are a young quarterback, well, one, you, when you're a quarterback, all your mistakes are really extremely highlighted, right? It's like being a cornerback. When you make a big mistake, it's probably a touchdown, so everybody sees it. Um, when you have to make that mistake under the, the lens uh, and the eye of New York media. You know, I think the toughest thing is that those mistakes, instead of those being things that are simple learning curves for you, they become things that potentially could be mentally, um, could, could propose a mental challenge for you in the future, you know, because now you're afraid to make a mistake. Now you're afraid to throw that that ball again because you know how 
you potentially could hear about this all week. So it eventually takes away your your confidence as an athlete and stuff. And so I'm not saying that that's where Sam is necessarily, but I think that, you know, him being able to get a little bit of time to, to uh, you know, mature as a quarterback and not necessarily, I mean, you know, he came in as I think the youngest player to enter the NFL or he was the youngest quarterback or something like that. Right. But coming in that young and, and having literally the weight of an entire uh, region, I won't even just say a state, right. Like, cause it's, you you, got, you know clearly that, you know, you got New Jersey, New York, you got, you know, some people from all over the place, right, like that, that are really rooting for the Jets and and Sam Donald specifically. When you come in and you have that, that weight of the world on your shoulders, it's a lot to deal with. And so, um, you know, Frank, fortunately, he has time. I mean, I know that that might not be uh, – <laughs> the fans might not necessarily think that, but if you're in the league, you got a chance, hey, you, you got some time, you know. Right. And, you know, the one thing you've spent time at, and also, Brandon, tell us how we can follow you on social media, because I think you have a lot of interesting things to say about the league. But you teach uh, financial courses at, at the University of Pennsylvania. And I think you have a, teach a lot of lessons in terms of these athletes who, you know, make a lot of money. I mean, it's weird being an athlete. You make your money early. Usually it's people work their way up and they start making their money when they're 30, 40, 50. The athletes are making all their money in their 20s. So they tend to, you know, not realize it's going to last that long because they're not going to be making that money later. Um, talk about a little about the advice you give in your classes and how you teach them and also also how to follow you on social media. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, the easy question, I guess, is the social media. Uh, Cope, B-C-O-P-E-51. Um, across all social media platforms. My website is brandoncopeland.com. And then if you want any financial literacy uh, or financial education resources, then go to life101.io. Um, Life 101, specifically to explain what that is, that is the the brainchild, uh, you know, my, my baby, so to speak, my first child, uh, that, that we created years ago on just all of the different money decisions we make throughout our lives. And we basically took that and created a full curriculum around it, a course around it, a course that we teach at the University of Pennsylvania every off season. And so this will be our fifth year of teaching it. Uh, we're expanding our class size to 120 students. Uh, we're excited. We have students who take it and literally aren't getting credit for it. It's all, it is a credited course, but there's some students who weren't able to get a seat. And so they come in and they sit in and they take the class anyway, because the, the information there is, I mean, it's stuff that we all are going to use. You're guaranteed to use it. It's about, you know, what goes into making up your credit score? What is insurance? Uh, how to buy a house? How to buy a car? Uh, what are the things I should be asking for when I'm renting an apartment, right? How do I protect myself as a renter? Uh, so a bunch of different topics and stuff, but we do it in a super, super digestible way. Um, we have fun um, <laughs> talking about money. Um, and we also break down some of your, you know, your history and your past relationship with money. And so, you know, the the thing that I say has helped us so far is, is I don't come in claiming expert status. I don't come in preaching to anybody. I don't come in telling you what you should do with your money. It's not my job. My job is to help you understand money generally, understand money, what it is, how it can be a tool what you can do to make it a tool for you versus what you can do to have it being something that is a burden to you, right? And it's something you're always affected by mentally. You know, one of the things that we found is, you know, obviously the mental health is 
the conversation around mental health and mental wellness is is extremely extremely popular today and and I say popular not in an offensive way more of a, in a way of like it's it's probably talked about more today than it's ever been um at any point in time and and one of the things that I uh truly believe is that mental wellness and for some is directly correlated to our financial confidence or or our financial wellness right and and when you're not where you want to be financially or the bills keep piling up it's hard to 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 put on a smile and and to be happy and to be mentally well right so my goal and my hope is through life 101 we can continue to impact people um so that they can get to or feel confident about the money decisions that they're making because it, it, we're all not going to be billionaires we're all not going to have private jets and I'm very comfortable with that right and um I just truly believe that we all can still be extremely extremely happy and we can all create the lives that we want and for some people your life might be having more free time to hang out with your children or your your life might your your it might be more of uh hey I've invested in my retirement in a better way because I understood my options better and now my retirement lasts longer or I can retire earlier right so it's going to look different for everybody this this journey is extremely personal and we are doing our best to to play our role by providing different resources for people and so again anybody that wants to take the course that course from Penn is up on our website, life101.io. Um, we got our course in high schools now. And, and so we're just continuing to grow our footprint and we'd love to, to get it down to West Palm as well, too. That's great. Well, we're talking to Brandon Copeland, NFL football player, expert on financial advice, teaches a class at the University of Pennsylvania. Brandon, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Very interesting guest there with Brandon Copeland joining us. So got a few minutes left here. Still have a lot to talk about. Let's touch on just two games quickly in the NFL. And... <laughs> Do we have to start taking Seattle a little bit seriously, Ira? Nobody an- anticipated this. Do you know Smith's been playing good? Kenneth Walker at his coming out party. Is this a real team in a, in a muddy NFC uh, NFC conference? Well, we thought they, Seattle was going to tank the year. I mean, you talk about I tanking. I thought they were losing on purpose. They were, they were losing on purpose. It was Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Geno Smith, as the arc of his career has been total bust to backup quarterback, career backup, and now he is one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the league, which is just amazing to say. Pete Carroll's coaching great. And they play the Chargers, the team who people said, "Oh, look, if it's not going to be, be a Super Bowl team, if it's not Buffalo, it's not Kansas City." Seeing, uh, the LA Chargers are going to be on there, and they win that game. And, and now they have, like, I know I picked in my fantasy Kenneth Walker, but 168 yards, two touchdowns, the star from Michigan State. Um, I felt, look, anyone who watches Michigan State this year play, he held the entire team up for the last three years <laughs> running the ball. They knew it was going to go to him, and he still was able to run through the Big Ten. I knew he was going to be a great player in the NFL. And uh, no, Seattle's an interesting team, and a lot of credit goes to Geno Smith and Pete Carroll. Could be another hot seat uh, for L.A. Chargers coaches, as we've seen quite the carousel there in recent years. So looking at the this Kansas City and San Francisco game, I was thinking this was going to be like a field goal game. I really, really was into San Francisco. I thought their defense could slow down Kansas City, but KC came out and basically said, no, 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 we are a, a flight and league above you guys. Well, San Francisco was up 10 nothing, and then Kansas City comes back and scores touchdowns, touchdowns on six of the next seven possessions. And this is... Now they you know, remember San Francisco made the big trade to bring in Christian McCafferty. Uh, they are so loaded with talent. Again, I'm not going to put so much. I mean, they're trying to incorporate everybody. They have injured players that are coming back. But it just shows to me this game not so much about San Francisco. This shows to me that Kansas City 
is really gearing up. And this is what, you know, I expect from Patrick Mahomes to throw for 423 yards, three touchdowns, getting Juju Smith-Schuster in, but really utilizing everybody on that team. Big win for Kansas City to go to San Francisco with, of course, that great defense. You're almost surprised if they don't score 40 points at this point. The offense is just something else. Tonight, another mediocre primetime game. Chicago Bears taking on New England. Me and you are both in the same camp. I I think you're in with me that I would have left Bailey Zappi in. I would have let him keep going. He's been playing good. Mac Jones is going back under center, though, at least as far as we know. And it looks like an eight-and-a-half-point line. For yeah, I, I, at this team. point, though, I, I think I would pick Chicago. But there's some reason, I mean, as people say, I just think Justin Fields has a great game out there. And I just am waiting for Justin Fields to come and have this where he gonna, he's going to run for 150 yards, throw for 200 yards. I, New England's a tough team to go do it against. Uh, but uh, I, I would expect, look, if Mac Jones isn't playing well, Bailey Zappi's coming in that game. I mean, if, if yeah. Bill Belichick got rid of Tom Brady and didn't want him, he's not, <laughs> he doesn't have any allegiance to Mac Jones. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited about this game. I, I think New England is trying to say, look, how relevant they are. This is, It's really a must win for them. And Chicago is probably trying to, if they go two and five, they'll be like the Steelers. You know, Matt Everflus is going to be packing his bags. Yeah, it's, it's bad. So I, I, I'm intrigued by this game. What are we watching next week? Some big games. The Ravens are at the Bucks Thursday night. I'll be at that game. How about the Patriots at the Jets? I mean, this is a time now. The Jets are the uh, you know the top dog on this yeah. one, and we'll see and and see what happens in that game. And the how about 49ers at the Rams? The 49ers are three and four. The Rams are three and three. I mean, that's gonna be great. And then of course, everyone you know, Aaron Rodgers talked about they the Packers are going to the Bills. The first time Aaron Rodgers has been a double-digit underdog in the, his career uh, against the Bills. So we'll see what happens. So I have some good games next week. Let's go to college here. And I rem- you know, you were at two events last week, uh, you know, this past weekend. One of them was seeing your Penn State, uh, Penn State Nittany Lions take on Minnesota. Yeah, Penn State, Minnesota started out the year 4-0. Um, they've now lost three in a row. Penn State got destroyed by Michigan last week. Just didn't know what was going to happen. But they came out. They they were struggling. They, uh, just three and outs. Um, Sean Clifford, who the six year quarterback, who the, was the, after his interception, and they were they were they went up three nothing. Minnesota went up three nothing. Fans were booing. I mean, they were screaming and they wanted him out. They want Drew Aller. Drew Aller is one of the top high school quarterbacks in the country who came in. They're wanting Aller to play. And then Clifford turned it around. He had one of his best games that he ever had. Penn State just kept scoring and scoring and scoring. And they really held Minnesota's rushing game, uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, who's a very, very good running back, in check. Uh, Clifford ended up the game almost 300 yards, four touchdowns, interception. Uh, Singleton and and Allen are the two freshman running backs for Penn State. One run for 80, the other run for 70 yards. Uh, And then defense-wide, Curtis Jacobs played great for them. And I got to watch Joey Porter Jr. This is my first home game. Uh, Boy, does he look amazing. He is he is going to be, I mean, a top 10 NFL draft pick at playing quarterback for the, the Penn State Indy Lions. But the fans were so into it. And this team, their defense is very young. So the team just got so energized with the whiteout and and everything. It was alumni and the, everything. It was And it was a beautiful day. Everyone was packed. And it was, I think that energized them. I, the line next week is 14 and a half against Ohio State. I don't know. I mean, on, if you looked at the Penn State-Michigan game, Penn State's going to get blown out again. But this team seems to like this playing at home. I, I, I don't know. I can't. I cannot read this Penn State team at all in terms of what's going to happen. But it was fun to be at that game. And I said Clifford played well. And, and as much as I think I want to see Aller in there playing, uh, we'll see what happens against Ohio State. You mentioned Ohio State played Iowa. Nobody really expected this game to be too close. You know, it was semi-close. It was 19-10 in the first half. I was watching the game downtown Penn State. 
And then they got a pick six to make it 26-10. And then it was just like, it just, the floodgates open. Ohio State can just score a will. I mean, C.J. Stroud, four touchdowns, interception. But what I was concerned from Ohio State's perspective, they did not run the ball well. They had uh, 66 yards rushing on 30 carries. Um, they're going to have to run the ball better against Penn State and certainly against Michigan. So th they ended up winning the game 54 to 10, but it was a little closer. But next week is that's the big game. So Syracuse had a lot of people excited going into this game undefeated versus Clemson. Clemson sure didn't look their best, but Syracuse couldn't get it done. I thought this game, I thought this upset was going to happen. It was 21 10 Syracuse. Uh, Clemson, uh, DJ Ongle, uh fumbled the ball. And then he threw two interceptions. And on the second interception, it was like, just threw it up there. It was like a high school quarterback interception. It was terrible. And then uh, Davos Sweeney pulled him. I mean, all I've been hearing about is how DJ's improved. He's not the DJ of last year. He's much better. He's much better. That's all they brought up to. And he pulls him out of the game for Katie Klubnik, who is one of their top uh, freshman, uh, freshman quarterbacks that came in there. And, and Klubnik ran, had led Clemson on two drives down. They scored two touchdowns and a field goal. Uh, and then the defense stopped him at the end of the game against Syracuse. But Clemson has won so many of these games this year on, like, the last play. But uh, huge win for Clemson. But then right after the game, uh, Dabo said, DJ's our quarterback. I'm not replacing him, even though um, this happened once before when Kelly Bryant was their quarterback and Trevor Lawrence came in. They did replace Kelly Bryant. They didn't have transferring. So. But he said, no, DJ's going to be a quarterback the rest of the year. We'll see what happens. But, you know, Clemson is that one of the six undefeated. There's now only uh, six undefeated teams left. Clemson's one of them. And they have they really to be in the playoff, they can't afford a loss. They they don't have a margin of error to lose. Um, so uh, they had to win this game. Any other college games you're checking out? Um, Alabama rebounded from their loss to Tennessee to beat Mississippi State 30 to, to 6. Bryce Young had a, another big game. The LSU-Mississippi game, LSU won 45 to 20. They were down 17 to 3 and outscored Mississippi. Now, Mississippi going into the game was undefeated. And they were uh, like, a, I think, a 10-point favorite going into this game in LSU. Huge win for uh, Brian Kelly and winning that game. TCU held on. They're one of those six teams. I said six teams undefeated. They're undefeated. They held on to win, beat Kansas State in the Big 12. They have to keep going undefeated to win. And the game that I was intrigued in, I, I missed it because we're playing. You know, Penn State had their game on. It was hard to watch. Those things. But UCLA and Oregon. UCLA was undefeated going into the game. Oregon only had one loss. Game day was there. Chip Kelly, remember, was the coach at Oregon who led them to their, you know, to the national championship game, all their championship win, wins. And uh, this was the, la there was the, la the, the last time a UCLA team ranked in the top 10 played another top 10 opponent was 2001, 21 years ago. Crazy. And that's crazy. The last matchup between two Pac-12 teams in the top 10 was in 2010. So it's been, this was a big game for them. And, but Oregon came out, they were leading 31-13 at halftime. Bo Nix, who Auburn just could not wait to get rid of, has found heaven in Oregon now and having led this team playing great and uh, just a big win for Oregon. And UCLA has one loss. Oregon now has one loss, but they're undefeated in the Pac-12. But uh, it was it was cool to see the Pac-12 and and where the, you know, to have a game like that. And, and then oh, Miami, not good. Well, we just have to bring this up. I, I was not got that score, but it was Duke won 45 to 21 over Miami. Miami had eight turnovers. It's the most by a power five team since 2009. What does it mean? That's like Kansas, like teams that are terrible, like eight turnovers in a game. Just they had three, Vanderbilt five fumbles, <laughs> three interceptions. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke left with a shoulder injury earlier, but um, now Miami's three and four and they're playing Virginia at Virginia, Georgia Tech and Clemson. They have three away games. Home games are Florida State and Pitt. I mean, I don't know if they can be bowl eligible. Here's a team that was a top 10 team. People thought could compete for the national championship winning the ACC. This is a, a horrendous year. Uh, for Barry Cristobal for his first year at Miami. What are we watching this week? Um, 
Notre Dame's at Syracuse. That's going to be a huge game up in Syracuse after the year they're having to have Notre Dame come there. But, of course, the Ohio State-Penn State game. Penn State is a 15.5-point underdog. We just mentioned uh, Miami and Virginia. And the Florida-Georgia game. Uh, Georgia, how about this? At the, the They can't call it the biggest cocktail party. Georgia is favored by 22.5 points in that game. I like Florida in that game. I mean, I think yeah. Florida plus 22 points. And I got another game. Kentucky at Tennessee. Tennessee's favored by 12 and a half. Next week, Tennessee goes at, it goes, plays Georgia at Georgia. Like, that's what they're thinking of. Kentucky has Will Levis back. 12 and a half points is a lot. This could be an upset for Tennessee to lose. Of course, they're one of those undefeated teams. And how about Michigan State at Michigan? Michigan State's been horrendous this year, awful this year. But 22 points, Michigan's favorite. These are, you know, this is a rivalry game. I just, I mean, I like the, I like those underdogs. I'm telling you, I like Florida, Kentucky, and Michigan State. Take the points at all those three games. Ira, what do you have going on the next eight days or so? Okay, this is a crazy, uh, Thursday night, Ravens, Bucks. And then Saturday, Penn State, Ohio State. And then I'll just, it's an easy drive. Philadelphia, I'll go to see the Eagles and the Steelers. I probably will get beat up. I'll wear my Steeler outfit. The Eagle fans <laughs> no, are the, the, right worst, the worst fans in the world. And then the World Series will be there Monday, Tuesday, at least Monday and Tuesday, unless they get swept. Then it's over on Tuesday. If not swept, then they play game five on Wednesday. So it'll be a really cool stretch of two NFL games, one college game, and a couple World Series games. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Brandon Copeland. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.